Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, the radio show all about traveling like a boss by being your own boss. Stay tuned for weekly interviews featuring guests that have built their own online businesses. If you would like to have access to our entire back catalog, visit travellikeabosspodcast.com for instant access. And here's your host, Johnny SD. What's up, everyone? This is Johnny, and welcome to episode 103 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. I'm here with Sean Lee, uh, who I had on the show exactly one year ago in January. Uh, he was the guy who was making $25,000 a month on YouTube. Uh, so I want to update on that. But more importantly, we wanted to have a different podcast this, this week. We wanted to have an intelligent conversation about diet, health. He's a hardcore vegan. I'm pretty much a carnivore, so <laughs> welcome to the show, Sean. How are you doing? Hey, man. Good to be back. It's really good to see you. Good to hang out. Yeah, Dude, it, I'm so happy that we are reconnecting exactly one year later. It's crazy, man. It's already been a year. Yeah. How, how much has changed in this last year? Oh, so much has changed. So much has changed. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think when you saw me when I got back, you're like, whoa, you look really skinny. I lost a lot of weight since that last podcast, and... Uh, just been really trying to figure out this whole vegan thing for myself, like how to make it work for me and with athleticism too, and as well as growing the business and traveling like a boss, doing it all, living the dream. I love it. So the last time we spoke, you were you know, basically crushing it with your YouTube business, mm. HD Piano, mm. and you're funneling all the profits from that into doing like your passion project, which is one minute a day. Right. And since then, you've become one of the prolific vegans in the world. I don't know about that, but uh, well, you know, you pop up all over YouTube. You know, everyone in Chiang Mai knows you. So uh, to me, like, yeah, you, you're definitely like a representative of like the the vegan community now and the second community. So you know, it, it's cool that you are such like a down to earth, normal guy. Oh, cool, man. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I feel like I've you know, put myself out there and try to network with a lot of these other vegan YouTubers, met some awesome people, and I'm happy to be part of the community. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. So can we get an update on just business real quick? Uh, you were doing about 25000 in revenue right. last time. Yep. Uh, where are you guys at now? Yeah. So HD Piano, like we said, my muse, like the four-hour workweek muse was bringing in 25000 a month in gross revenue uh, last year. And we grew about 6% per month. Which doesn't sound like a lot, but when you compound that, that means we've doubled. So we're grossing around 50K a month now. That's insane. And we've added a couple new members to the team. I brought on an, an official partner and we've hired some new instructors. And yeah, it's just, it's great. And that is that I'm funneling the profits from that, like you said, into the traveling and filmmaking and living the dream. That's really cool. Can I ask you kind of roughly how much of that is profit? Uh, well, yeah, our margins are pretty high because. It's an information product, so our margins are close to 50%. Yeah. Okay, really cool. So you yeah. have basically plenty of money to, to live, to be able to travel, and then be able to funnel your, your passion. Yes, it's, it's great. It's the dream. And it's, it's something I want to help other people do, like, just like you do. Just like you do. Yeah, it's great. You know, I, I think it's, it's cool that we, we're kind of on two sides of the same coin. Right. Even though I think if people just looked at our profiles, they would think these guys are exact opposites. They have nothing, you know, they, they probably have nothing in, in common. Right. Um, if anything, they would hate each other. But that's not the case. I know. You You look like like a powerlifting meat eater. And I'm like this like skinny vegan. But yeah, we do have a lot in common. Yeah. And that's actually why I wanted to have you on the show. So if anyone's interested in the actual business side of it, we're not going to talk about that today because we talked about it in the last episode. So it's uh, episode 61. Yeah, and I think all that. that still holds true. I think yeah, everything okay. we talked about there pretty much holds true today. Yeah. Very cool. So 
today, let's talk about something very weird. <laughs> You're going to use the V word? We're going to use the, the vegan word. <laughs> All right. um, the reason why I wanted to, to talk to you about it specifically and the reason why I never talk about this with anyone else is mm. because diet is kind of like religion. Yeah, it can and, be. Yeah, And when people are very immersed in their religion, uh, regardless of what it is, you know, they hardcore kind of almost kind of like blindly follow it, whether it's a good one or a bad one or there's ups or downs. Uh, but you are such like a level-headed, normal, logical guy <laughs> that I figured who better to talk about it, you know, uh, that, than you. Cool, man. Yeah, I'm happy to be a sounding board. I Obviously, I love talking about veganism like any other vegan. And if we can have a level-headed, logical conversation, that'd be great. Yeah. What I, questions do you have? Like why, what, what would you like oh, to ask? Oh, I, I, got, I got a ton. <laughs> uh, well, so I guess to kind of just get some background from you. Yeah. Uh, how long have you been a vegan uh, and what made you become a vegan? Cool. Yeah. I actually went vegan in uh, September of 2012. So it's been over three years. I was doing the, the four-hour body slow-carb diet right before that. And, uh, you know, with that diet, you're drinking lots of coffee. I was having wine every night and I uh, just wasn't feeling good. I think my girlfriend was telling me it wasn't smelling so good either, maybe too many eggs. And I uh, just was looking for other alternatives. And the 4-Hour Body actually profiled a couple of vegetarians and vegans, like Scott Jurek and Rich Roll, kind of opened my eyes to other things. So maybe Tim Ferriss gets a little credit for opening me up to veganism. And then I found people like Durian Ryder and these like YouTube people who are like, you know, really pro-vegan and it just kind of opened me up to the possibilities. I just, I, I thought it'd be a, a healthier way. Really all I wanted was health. I wanted to lose weight. I wanted to clear skin. I wanted to just feel good. You know, I couldn't get away with eating the way I ate when I was 18. Anymore. What was that like when you were 18? You know, just standard American diet. Favorite food was probably pizza and cheeseburgers. And, uh, you know, I never connected that the food that you ate would impact how you felt, how you looked. Really, I just thought it wasn't exercising enough or something, you know? eating the standard American diet for many, many years. So I think we can both agree that no matter what diet you follow, the standard American diet is probably the worst. I would probably agree with that, yeah. I mean, America has like the worst health stats in the world. And when we say standard American diet, it, it applies in the UK and Australia yeah. and you know pretty much most countries nowadays yep. where eating you know basically fast food, if you're eating, regardless of eating McDonald's. Highly or, processed foods. Yeah. Uh, all these things, nobody can argue that that is healthy. Um, so it's good that, you know, I, I actually honestly think that like throughout our conversation today, we're going to find a lot of parallels between the two diets. Yeah, I'm looking at your chart here on the wall. You guys can't see it who are listening, but he's got a bulletproof diet chart on the wall. And I can already see lots of overlap between that kind of a diet. I see lots of overlaps with paleo and I see, yeah, lots of overlaps with any healthy way of eating, I think. Yeah, so, so the chart on the wall is uh, Dave Asprey's Bulletproof Diet Chart. Uh, I had him on the show. That was episode 58. So if you guys want to check that out, it's on there. But what's actually interesting about that chart is for like five years, Dave actually didn't have a book, which is weird because now everyone kind of assumes Dave Asprey is this like hardcore marketing guy that sells all these products. And now he does. He has tons of products. But he didn't have a book for like five years. And whenever people would ask, you know, how do I actually follow this diet? You know, do you have something you can sell me? He would say, no, there's a free PDF that you can just download. It's, it's a two-page sheet that basically it just um, just has like a green to red area where I'll, I'll have a link to it. This is episode 103, so you can just look in the show notes. Uh, you could download it. It's free. But basically what it is is, you know, it says these foods are more bulletproof, so they're more green. And then on the red side are the ones that you nobody should eat. 
And I think on the red side, uh, pretty much for regardless if you're vegan or you're paleo or, or bulletproof, I don't think there's anything on there that any any diet would follow. So there'd be things like highly processed oils or highly processed right, deep fried stuff, deep fried stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, like cow, like uh, even like dairy from conventional cows, like sick yeah. animals, With hormones um, all injected yeah. <laughs> in. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's great. I mean, and just as a from a designer and creator perspective, how simple and clear it is is really impressive. To get that much information onto two sheets of paper is uh, really impressive. I'd like, I'd love to have a a two sheeter like that to explain how I live. You know. That's, you know what? It's inspiring. That, maybe maybe that should be that's uh, the next step, huh? Next step, yeah. If you if you do that, uh, let me know. Uh, I'll blast it out. Well. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, so the problem actually with that sheet is, even though now that I kind of have all the knowledge, I could just follow that and it'd be fine. But I think for people just starting out, they're very confused because mm. there's a lot of information out right. there. They want to know why, not just what. Exactly. Yeah. It's very, a lot of it's very contradictory as well. Yeah. Um. So my background with health and, and nutrition, uh. I grew up as a fat kid uh, ever since I was, I mean, ever since I can remember pretty much. Yeah, me too. Yeah. You know, and it's because of that, I think I explored every single possible diet, you know, and I tried all these crazy things. I did all these hardcore, um, you know, weight loss techniques. You know, I sometimes I exercised way too much and then I would give up Mm. and not exercise for, for months or years. Yeah. And same with the diet. I would go hardcore on a diet and then, you know, I'll see results usually after a month or two. And then I just, it wasn't sustainable. Yeah. So I had to stop. Yeah. I was the exact same way. It'd be like one month of this, two months of that. You know, slow carb with Tim Ferriss was like the longest. I did that for three months. I thought, oh, wow, I'm getting better. But even that was unsustainable. Like there's a built-in cheat day once a week there. And then that turned into two days a week. And, you know, I just lost it. But what I found with the way I approach veganism, is it's been the most sustainable way for me to just eat consistently and really stick to it over a long period of time. It's the first time in my life I felt like I can eat exactly how I want to eat and get the results that I desire. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. And uh, it's funny that you mentioned Tim Ferriss' um, slow-carb diet, mm. which is in the four-hour body. Yeah. Uh, that is actually the diet that brought me to paleo. <laughs> so funny. Know. It's a transitional diet. It's almost one of those things where... I doubt I doubt Tim even does it anymore. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, know I if he does. Uh, I, I don't really know anyone in person who has follow that diet and this and have stuck to it but i think you're right a lot of people have tried it and they're like okay i can see some results from it this isn't exactly for me Mm. so let me you know kind of take what works uh let me take the knowledge i've learned from it and let me find something that is sustainable for me yeah what i did like about it is it had me cut out dairy right away which i think i noticed a lot of improvement from and it had me eating like greens and you know veggies every day too so and making food at home those were all big changes for me. Like those little habits, I was able to build upon that when I became vegan. I like that. And also things I took away from it is not being afraid to eat the same couple of meals all the time. Right. That really helps, especially in the beginning where you're not thinking about, you know, what I should eat. You know, you're not craving foods. Uh, you're not like watching Food Network and, you know, <laughs> and, you know basically food porn food porn porn. yeah and it's it's addictive you know your body just starts like you see all this you know crazy stuff on like man versus food or um, (laughs) diners you know dine-ins and drives you're like oh i really want that you know i think a big part of it is kind of growing up food has always been a way where our parents or you know even our teachers would reward us yeah so now that we can just reward ourselves we're kind of like well why not like why not just spend 99 cents at mcdonald's and we can this instant gratification well we know food taps into our dopamine and serotonin and all these different hormones that make us feel good it's i mean some foods 
can really be similar to a drug and addiction reaction in our body. It absolutely is. And you know, when people say, um, what does McDonald's sell? They don't sell you know hamburgers they sell happiness mm. and that's really what it is yeah. you know, that is their model that's why they have the happy meal uh and in fact mcdonald's actually doesn't make money selling like the actual burgers a lot of people don't realize the business model behind it uh so it's like the drinks isn't it or something yeah like so first the actual profit margins are going to be in the drinks as well as the fries mm. and it's because if you think about it to make like a hamburger you know, that they sell for 99 cents. or I, I think you could actually get like a double the hamburger for that. It's hilarious. Oh, the man. amount of effort it takes to source the bun, the condiments for it, the pickle, the meat, the cheese, the wrapper, have someone cook it all, put it together, is a lot more expensive than someone filling up a cup of syrup and carbonated water. Or, you know, putting some pre-made french fries uh, in, in, in the deep fryer. Those have by far the highest profit margins. And... So what they do is they basically get you in with the you know the ninety nine cent burger, uh, and then they upsell you all this other stuff. Mm. But McDonald's actual business model <laughs> isn't even that real estate. It's real estate exactly. Probably real estate, yeah. So if you you know if you guys think about it, uh, if McDonald's sold all the real estate, they decided okay we've had made enough money, let's just sell all of our real estate. They have all the best corner lots in the country, don't they? <laughs> Times Square, New York, you know down you know in San Francisco and London, it's like literally around the world, they have the best real estate. So it is a very smart business model. It's not smart food. <laughs> yeah. We're talking about all the things we don't like. We're talking about like McDonald's and yeah, all this crap food. But that's exactly what we were getting away from, you know? Yeah. Identifying you, know, you have a problem is the first step. Huh? Exactly. And <laughs> I think that uh, what you mentioned earlier about eliminating certain things from your diet, I actually think that is the most important. So I think regardless of what diet you follow, eliminating things that are clearly unhealthy hmm. is the best way to go. I think actually the hardest part, which we talk about today as well, is what to add back in. Because mm -hmm. I really hate it when people, you know, spend all this time just saying, you shouldn't eat this, you shouldn't eat this, you shouldn't eat this. And then at the end of the day, you feel lost. You feel even more lost than before. Right. Because you're like, now I know all this stuff is bad for me. I don't know what to do. So maybe I'm just going to ignore all of it. Right. I've been there, man. I've been there where I... Uh wanted to be so minimalist about food and uh, just start from square one where there was like five days in a row where I ate like nothing but bananas. It was like a banana cleanse. I was like, bananas is the cleanest food. I'm just going to like start from square one and then re-add foods from there. Like you, you, you get like confused by all the information out there. Like, can I eat coconut oil? Can I eat nuts? Like, like what's healthy? What's not healthy? You get confused. That's actually a pretty smart idea is, you know, that's kind of like the hardcore elimination diet. Starting from square start from one. zero. Yeah. And then... If nothing else, you know, if every single person wants to design their own perfect diet, what you guys could do is you can start basically with zero, nothing. And every single time you want to eat something, you want to put something in your mouth, you can just Google it and just read like the top, you know, I mean, don't read one source because that's also always going to be a problem. But read like maybe, you know, three to five sources, you know, just quickly. You don't have to go super in detail from it. Mm. And if like, you know, most of the articles on the first page, especially from like a trusted resource... They say overall, X, you know, coconut oil is is healthy. Then say, okay, add that back to your list. And you can even make this little journal and you can write it down. But what's nice about that is you can also figure out if you have any food allergies. If you can, you know, because every single person is so different. And I think that's why, even though we have very different diets, we can each find what works for us. Uh, so right now, um, we are drinking. <laughs> so Sean is having a rubus tea with uh, coconut milk. So if you guys haven't had it, it's a uh, herbal tea from South Africa. What do, you, what do you think of it? 
It's great, man. It's really good. I like that you put the soy milk in there too, or the coconut milk. Yeah, it's really good. And I'm having uh, basically it's a hot chocolate, but it's made with cacao, so like raw cacao, uh, a bit of coconut milk, and a bit of xylitol, which is like a, like a sweetener. It's kind of like stevia. Mm. Yeah, um, man, it's really nice. So uh, Sean asked me at first uh, if I have if I eat dairy or not. Yeah, right. Because most Asians are typically lactose intolerant, and that was the first thing I cut out with this slow carb diet that led me towards veganism. I was wondering how you do with dairy and what your thoughts are on that. So one of the reasons why I'm as big as I am that look like a natural bodybuilder is because I had a lot of milk growing up. Okay. So basically, as a kid, are you way taller than your parents? I'm way taller than my parents. Really? I'm way more muscular than anyone in my family, <laughs> and pretty much every single you know Asian guy uh, yeah. that I know naturally. Yeah. Um, and it's because I used to drink probably three gallons of milk per week. Wow. And the reason why I know that is we would buy our milk at Costco mm. and we would buy those like multi packs. And at school, because milk is subsidized by our school systems. Milk's like water in schools. They like yeah. force you to drink it. And, and it's free. You know, sometimes it'll give you like chocolate milk as well. Yeah, it's the only thing that they put on your tray that everyone gets. Everyone gets the milk in and America. What I, so I would have, I would wake up at six in the morning because my dad would go, go to work. Uh, and I was able to watch TV, my cartoons, for an hour before I went to school. And I wasn't allowed to watch TV normally, so that's the that was my time to sneak it in. Mm. Uh, I would have a giant glass of milk, so at least 16 ounces, with my breakfast. I would go to school, and then they would give me more milk yep. <laughs> uh, with my free uh, school lunch, which was usually either cereal or like bread and butter with milk. Yep. For lunch, I would have milk. After school, they had that snack with milk. <laughs> And I'm pretty sure I would have milk at night as it's well. like half a gallon a day. Yeah. I, I, I had at least <laughs> half a gallon a day. And in it is, you know, all these um, hormones, hormones, antibiotics, pus. Steroids in there. And what else, what kind of grossed me out when I thought about it is that like a jug of milk, one gallon of milk, is the milk mixed up of like 10,000 cows into one. You know, it's just all mixed together in a giant and, and vat. That's actually one of the reasons why it's easy to kind of get these weird contaminations Yeah, is because it's not milk from one cow. You know, it's, it's not like the family cow that your daughter went and milked. <laughs> that you knew was, you know, was healthy or not. So one of the easiest ways to get sick is to have even a little bit of contaminated milk mixed in, you know, with these bottles. Uh, so overall, I don't drink any milk and I actually avoid most dairy. But you do the grass-fed bulletproof coffee, right? Yep. So the reason why... Uh, Dave Asprey recommends that it's okay to have butter is because there's very, very little dairy in actual butter. There's actually oh, very really? little casein, which is the, um, the, the the milk protein. But what about lactose? So I, I think there's actually very little lactose there, in there okay. too. Uh, because the, lactose is milk sugar. But you don't have any issues with doing the grass-fed butter, huh? And I don't have any issues with it. And most people actually don't either because mm. there's so little... Uh, I don't know if there's zero, but it, it's a very like a minimal amount of lactose and casein. It's basically just fat, uh, which, which is what butter is. Right? What is, the main thing you guys want is is like what's it called MTC oil or what's the thing? In, what's so the... MTC MCT is medium chain uh, triglycerides. Uh, I don't know how much is actually in the butter. I, I, I'm I'm assuming there is some, but I know for the butter, the reason why we add that back to our diet, uh, especially in the bulletproof diet or, or kind of like a paleo diet, is because. There is a lot of other nutrients in the butter, like, for example, omega-3s. Mm. Um, most, you know, you always hear about, like, adding fish oil or, like, mm. flaxseed oil um, because our diets as, I don't say Americans because, you know, it's worldwide, I would say, that, like, the standard diet. Uh, 
a lot of it is way too much omega six. Yeah, it's out of balance. It's out of balance. So that's yeah. the main reason to to be uh, reintroduce it. And I uh, I don't want to quote <laughs> the, the diet because the way that I I guess I eat my diet is I'll do the research. I'll see what makes sense. I'll try it for myself. And then I, honestly, I completely forget the core reasons why I started. Mm, you just, it becomes a habit. Yeah. So I'm not the best at explaining what's in it. Uh, all I remember is, you know, uh, grass-fed butter is a, a healthy fat mm. uh, with a lot of things that uh, are not in normal food. It's kind of hard to find in another food. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, that's good that it works for you. For the vegans out there listening or curious, I think the vegan alternative is like using coconut oil and that MCT oil as well maybe and you get your own vegan bulletproof version or something like that. I've yeah. heard of vegans doing it. Yeah, you can definitely do it. So like if you want to make a vegan version of it, you can still have coffee. Uh, you can use coconut oil and then you can blend it together. Mm. Um, or, you know what, why not blend it with some coconut milk? Yeah, yeah I think nice. yeah, that sounds, yeah, vegan version. Yeah. Hey, so I'm wondering, we're, we're, I don't know, a few minutes into the podcast here. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, should we go through, like, compare and contrast, or like, talk about what a day of eating actually looks like for each of us? Yeah, yeah sure. Go ahead. Um, yeah, so I, I've been through the motions a lot. I've, I've tried, like, high raw, like, you know, there's raw vegan fruitarians eat nothing but fruit. And uh, then there's the other side where there's junk food vegans who just live on, like, Coca-Cola and French fries. Also vegan. Oreos are vegan in America. And I found this, like, balance in the middle where basically I live off of rice, beans, uh, and veggies, you know, tofu, nuts. I, uh, I just like whole foods. You know, I think whole is like a key word with any kind of diet plan is you want unprocessed, unrefined foods. So I just try to minimize processed foods and I base my diet around really, I think beans and legumes are like the core thing in any society around the world in Asia, South America, you, you see lots of legumes with these long-lived, healthy, thin, vital cultures. I think they always have lots of beans or soy or tofu or something. I think that's been a great addition to my vegan lifestyle to get extra protein, a little extra fat, and you know, good balance. So out of curiosity, what would your typical breakfast, lunch, snack, dinner be? Okay, so let's say I wake up at 7 a.m. or so, do a little uh, physical activity. I like to move my body and I like to do mental activity first thing in the morning, like on an empty stomach, basically. I might have some tea or maybe a coffee in the morning. I usually don't eat, you know, typical breakfast time. I might fast another five, four or five hours after I wake up. So I might eat around lunchtime, like 12 o'clock. I'll have like a one or two servings of rice, people would call it. And then I'd scoop on top of that some uh, tomato, like I'll, I'll mix up like a tomato sauce with beans and veggies and maybe some tofu in there. And I'll eat that on top of the rice and like mix that all together. And that'd be like a, a standard meal. It's like a burrito bowl. I eat burrito bowls all the time, basically. Yeah, burrito bowls is like my go-to thing. I like it. And what about snacks or desserts? Snacks, I like nuts. I like I'll, I'll snack on cashews, walnuts, uh, dried fruit sometimes. And desserts, I'm a huge chocolate fan. So you might not know most dark chocolates are actually vegan. Um, they're, they don't have any dairy. They're usually soy-based. Uh, the dark chocolate's not milk chocolate, obviously. So I'll do like an 80% dark chocolate bar and... Uh, yeah, I could eat one of those in one sitting sometimes as a dessert, you know? So chocolate is usually my main dessert. Cliff bars are also usually vegan. I have a cliff bar. That's a nice little treat for me, but that's about all the desserts I need. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I like it. And it's kind of good to hear what's actually in, in the diet itself. Um, instead of us just talking about, you know, what not to eat, like what we actually do eat. Uh, so my standard diet when I'm 
not in the U.S. like gorging on <laughs> crap over Christmas uh, is Monday through Friday. I'll have a bulletproof coffee in the morning, which is just made from coffee, uh, grass-fed butter, and MCT oil, which is concentrated coconut oil. Uh, blend that together, and I'll have that, but I'll fast until lunch. So, I, oh, so we both kind of intermittent fast. We right? both intermittent fast, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of benefits of intermittent fasting. Uh, so you guys can look up that if you guys want. But it, it, in in general, it's it gives your body a break from processing yeah, food. Yeah, so you're not eating all day long. You just eat within like an eight hour window or something, and then the rest of the time you allow your digestive systems to kind of like empty out and clean out. Exactly, and it gives you a lot of other benefits too. A lot of more like mental clarity. You're not as sluggish. So if I have a normal breakfast, so on weekends, sometimes I'll have like bacon, eggs, and avocado just as kind of like a treat, but then I'm not going to do any work. <laughs> you know, I'm going right. to want to just sit around right. or hang out. But if I just have, uh, if I bas- basically if I fast and I don't have any protein or carbs in the morning, uh, I'm able to work until noon or lunch uh, and I have tons of mental clarity. I think this is a big reason why I've been able to kind of crush it at work. Yeah. And a lot of times, by the time people come in, uh, there's kind of a joke around pun space, a co-working space, that people never see me do any work. <laughs> and it's because by the time they get in... You've I've, already finished. I've already finished. Yeah. Well, it's totally logical. It makes perfect sense. You know, why is there the after food coma? Well, once you've loaded your stomach full of food, well, your body has to process it and digest it. All the blood rushes to your digestive system. The blood is not in your brain. The blood is not in your muscles. It's in your stomach and it's in your intestines. And that's where it's focusing on. That's why you don't want to go swimming right after you eat. That's why you aren't going to be good at taking tests or doing work right after you eat because your body wants to focus on getting that food out of your stomach and getting the nutrients out of it. You know, that's where the blood goes. I like it. Uh, So for lunch, uh, in general, I have big salad with some avocado and then a bit of meat, some chicken or something. For dinner, uh, I normally have cooked food just because I like having like something warm and kind of wholesome for dinner. Mm. So usually I try to have as much vegetables as I can uh, with some meat, maybe an egg on top or something. Uh, I try not to have any carbs at all. And I think, well, by carbs, I mean like starchy, starchy carbs. carbs. Yeah. So no rice or anything. But at the same time, it is a, it is important, at least for me, to have some carbs at least once a week where I feel like my body just doesn't recover. So at least once a week, I'll either have white rice, which is easy to, to break down or digest, uh, or sweet potatoes. Uh, so oh, I love sweet potatoes. Yeah, me, me as well. So good. <laughs> uh, so that's kind of my, my normal diet and i think that has 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 worked for me personally Mm. Um, ever since i've been following that i've had a lot more energy i've been lean i've lost a lot of weight um, but i've kind of just overall been just felt better Mm. you know and i my my diet when i was in college was lots of spaghetti uh, Mm. lots of taco bell right processed refined carbs lots of like cheese with you know in my bean burritos with like i don't know nachos and (laughs) other crap qdoba or chipotle uh, you know what? Chipotle actually didn't exist back then. Oh. So I would just have like, the greasiest, you know, crap burritos. Um, and Cheesy burritos from like a mom and pop I would place? Even, yeah, I would go to like these Mexican places in Southern California uh, and just load up on whatever it was. Um, they said that cheese actually has something in there that is it triggers the same things in our brain as the drugs. Oh, yeah. Dopamine, like big time. Well, yeah. think about it. I mean, what is dairy? What is milk? It's baby calf growth fluid i mean when a baby calf a cow's baby is born it needs to be addicted to that milk if it doesn't get that milk every single day in large amounts it's never going to grow from you know a 60 pound baby or whatever into a thousand pound cow it needs to be addicted to that human babies need to be addicted to the mother's milk you know 
it's so essential for life. That absolutely makes sense. And I think it's pretty safe to say that adult humans do not need to drink milk. Well, I mean, humans are the only adult animal at all that drink milk. You know, milk is a baby food for every animal, and then every animal gets weaned off of it. And also, humans are the only animals that drink the milk of another species. You know, there's no other animal that drinks the milk of another species. It's it's really interesting. I don't think they they could even if they wanted to. Like, <laughs> pretty sure like a baby goat couldn't go up to cow and not get kicked in the face. I guess that's so. Maybe true. we do it because we can. I guess we can. Uh, but in we general, do it because we can. I don't think it's actually. I don't think any single anyone in the world can argue that eating cheese or even drinking milk is vital or necessary. And I don't think there's a way to actually say it's super healthy. Mm. I think. There's ways to make it less bad for you, yeah. so you can have like raw milk that hasn't been uh, heated and, and pasteurized, doesn't have the hormones in there. But I think if, the reason why I don't drink it is because I'm like, I don't need to drink milk. You know, it's right. it's nice. You know, I, I it's I, a luxury I, kind of. It's a luxury. And it tastes good, um, but yeah. we don't need it. Right. You know, so there's alternatives. I just drink coconut milk. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I've been vegan for three and a half years. I have no interest or desire to consume any kind of a dairy product, but I will not deny that it tastes amazing. It's very stimulating. And it's because that's what we're designed to do. As human beings in the jungle, we were designed to seek out calorically dense food to sustain us and our tribe. And right now, cheese and donut, you know, cheese is basically the most calorically dense thing we can get. I mean, one little block of cheese has more calories than a, a table full of salad. You know, I mean, you, one bite of cheese can give you, what, a couple hundred calories. You know, it's very dense, and that's why it's so stimulating. All these greasy foods, we're designed to seek these out. But in nature, we would never see something that stimulating, that calorically dense ever in nature. So I, I think in nature, the only thing that was that dense would like be nuts, like... nuts, avocados. Yep, nuts, and avocados, meats. meats the, well, the, mainly the fat of the animal as well. You know, so I think in nature, people would actually, you know, go more towards the fat than the actual lean meat itself. Like nobody was eating like a lean chicken breast in no. nature. No, they'd eat the whole thing. They'd eat the whole thing. Uh, if anything, they would take like the fattiest parts of it because that just gave them the most caloric density. And they'd probably eat also the organs as well. The yeah. organs would have a lot of the uh, nutrients and healthy bacteria. You know, any real meat eater eats the whole thing, eats all the bloods and guts raw and loves it. So... Right there, you actually made a good point. I think if you are going to eat meat, what we actually should be eating, which we don't, is we should be eating the organs. We should be eating like the, the bone marrow. We should be eating like the healthy fat from an animal that... Ha so the, the reason why uh, it's actually a really bad idea to eat like let's say chicken skin or like fat from a factory farmed animal is those animals are treated so terribly that they're sick I mean, and this is undeniable. If, if, if I think if anyone doesn't know this, it's because yeah. you don't want to know. Yeah, it's 2016. You know, uh, there's so much footage out there. <laughs> I, I don't recommend YouTubing it because it, you, it'll kind of yeah. make you sick. I'm done. I don't need to see it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's out there. So uh, f like meat from factory farmed animals. So basically what that means is if you buy food meat from a supermarket or a restaurant, uh, it's probably raised in this like really bad uh, pen with thousands of animals kind of crunch them together they're sick which is why we have to feed them um, these hormones and antibiotics and all the like all the really bad parts of it are actually stored in the fat so that's why it's never a good idea to eat fat from like a chicken that you get from a supermarket or from a restaurant mm. um, but like wild game or something would be a totally different story so, yeah so if you happen to you know to find let's say a salmon that wasn't wasn't farmed 
the fat from that salmon would be the healthiest part. Or like, more than the meat. for example, my cousin in Ohio, he's been hunting his whole life. So every year he gets tickets or tags and he, he brings home two bucks or a couple of does every year. And, you know, this is deer that he hunted on his brother's farm or his brother's property. And it's just like totally natural wild deer. And I just have to imagine like, as far as all the things you could eat, in the animal kingdom, I'm, I imagine what he's eating there is probably like the leanest, cleanest, most natural you can get. It's That's 100% true. Uh, if you can have access to wild game that yeah. was raised without... And one deer will feed a family for a whole season. It's yeah. surprising. I think you, basically you can have one cow feed a family for, for an entire year. <laughs> so if you, you know, if you wanted to have one, you know, humanely raised cow that was, that was actually fed you know, ate grass, was pastured, walked around, wasn't cramped up, wasn't fed on this crap, and you had it in your freezer for a year, that that's the one, you know, the one animal you can have the entire year. Mm. Uh, it's funny that you bring this up. So, you know, obviously vegans are very against eating meat, number one, but, you know... Yeah, we two, don't believe in it. Yeah. And, and number two, you guys would probably be very against, like, killing an animal for the meat. Yeah, I think veganism, it's, it's tricky, and I don't know how to summarize it best, um, but I think veganism is a way of thinking about other beings as having their own lives and not treating them as like products or things that we can use for ourselves. I think that's like the biggest belief is that I don't have the power or I don't want to uh, inflict my power on other animals just because I can. I think that's a big part of it. It's uh, yeah, I don't want to hurt another animal. I don't want to imprison another animal. And I don't want to kill an a- another animal just because it's a taste thing. Like if it's not necessary, um, but that's my belief. I believe it's not necessary. There's plenty of people who believe that it is necessary. So I actually think that even as, you know, basically a carnivore or someone who eats paleo, which which is often associated as a carnivore because we eat a lot of meat. Well, I'm omnivore. Uh, you, you, I saw you eat some greens I'm last night. I'm definitely omnivore. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> the actual, you know, if you actually follow a paleo diet or a bulletproof diet, you're actually supposed to eat a lot of vegetables. Right. And then just a little bit of meat. Yeah. I think most people, when they start, they make Overdo the mistake it. of thinking, oh, now I can have all the meat I want. Yeah, they think it's Adkins. It's yeah. not Adkins. Yeah. And because they're not eating, let's say, the carbs with it, they're not eating the rice and potatoes or the you know, the noodles with it, they figure, oh, I should just eat more meat because that's what's filling me. But in reality, we should actually just replace that with more, more vegetables. Yeah. I think a lot of people aren't used to ordering a side of vegetables or having like, you know, a giant salad with it uh, and having either the same amount of meat as they did before or even less. Uh, but yeah, in general, if you actually watch me eat, I actually eat probably more vegetables than majority of, of vegans or vegetarians I've had meals with. Mm. Uh, because a lot of times... You know, you, you guys are trying to have more protein, so you have to eat more rice, more lentils, more other things that aren't actually vegetables just because you want to get that substance in. Mm. Yeah, I, I know a lot of vegans who don't even eat salads, ever. W- w- why is that? I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, because a lot of vegans don't do it for health reasons. I think an important distinction to make, it's like a misconception. There's a difference between eating a vegan diet and being vegan. Like One is like a way of being and a belief, and one is just like a diet, basically. And so a lot of vegan people who eat a vegan diet, um, or sorry, a lot of people who are vegan do it for the ethical reasons. They don't uh, want to harm animals, but they might not be so interested in health. You know, they don't really care about being super healthy or fit, but they are just ethical. So those people might eat a junk food vegan diet. So they don't care about eating greens and salads and well-balanced meals. They don't even uh, focus on that. They just don't want to harm other animals. So that kind of a vegan might eat, yeah, like a coca-cola french fry and junk food diet and and that's fine they don't need to eat healthy to be ethical in their view 
That is super interesting. I've actually honestly never thought of that. Dude, all right. So one one of the most shocking things I heard is when I was at that water fasting place in California, I met a vegan there. And it was the first vegan I ever met who thought veganism was unhealthy. Like I thought everyone went vegan because they thought they were going to be healthier and help themselves. But she's like, nope, I don't think it's healthy, but I do it for the animals. Like I'd never heard that. I, I couldn't resonate with that. Like, wow, you, you think you're harming yourself, um, but to help the animals. I, I I didn't. I mean, is that true altruism? I guess. And you know, and I, I respect that. You know, <laughs> I um, never heard that. So here's the thing, of, like about about that about that topic, which is very interesting, is I think in this day and age that we live in, and pretty much pretty much starting in our generation, we had the choice where we can be vegan. You know, regardless if it's healthier or not, we actually had that choice. Yeah. You know, where I don't think as a human, we're not going to die if we we stop eating meat products. Hmm. You know. Uh, it's a whole different argument if it's the healthiest diet of the world, or if you're going to thrive or not. But we can all become vegan and we're not going to die. Yeah. If, if you're listening to this podcast and you have a Wi-Fi connection and yeah, you probably have the means to choose. Yeah. yeah. And it's because I think we have access now to, you know, to vegan foods to, um, you know, it's not like we're starving. Like if, you know, if we lived in rural Alaska or we, you know, we grew up hundreds of years ago, we're hunting and gathering. We can't be like, no, we're not going to eat this. Yeah. We're not going to kill this animal. Let's just pick more berries because <laughs> right. there's not enough berries to right. pick. <laughs> survival. But now it's not a matter of survival. It's a matter of taste. Yeah. Yeah. But like my family comes from Korea and before the Korean War, I mean, before the last 50 years of boom in Korea, it was a very, very poor country. And back then people were vegan by default. It was not a choice. You know, they only had a chance to eat meat maybe three times a year for the big New Year celebration, a big birthday or something. But most of the time it was, you know, rice, beans, sea vegetables, kimchi, which is like a pickled cabbage. They were vegan by accident, by default, you know, and that's, yeah, veganism is kind of like the, the diet of like poverty or like poorer people in their eyes. And so in Korea now, it's seen as like a power play, like it's, it's powerful to eat meat. You know, it's still a symbol of wealth in Korea because it's such a new thing. They haven't had that choice before. So to be vegan in Korea is like an absurd idea. They think you're going back in time, back to poverty, you know, back to the Stone Age because they think we've made it. We have meat now. I've always wondered why Koreans <laughs> eat so much meat. It's wealth to them. It's, it's a symbol of power and wealth. Every time I go to a Korean barbecue restaurant, it's all you can eat meat and they just order so freaking much. And I enjoy it, to be honest. But at the same time, I'm like, what about all these like side dishes of, you know, because in Korean culture, they bring like 20 right. beans and veggies and all these great side dishes. And these like, they had my favorite salad of the world. It's like a salad with spring onions. And I think they use a bit of sesame oil dressing or something mm -mm. with it. And it's really good. Oh, yeah. And when I eat with my friends, I will reorder that big bowl of salad like five times. Uh, You're the only ones in the restaurant doing that. <laughs> yeah, everyone else is just eating the meat. Yeah, and I enjoy the meat as well, but I really enjoy all the side dishes. So I'll have a lot of this kimchi. I'll have you know pretty much all you know most of the side dishes, and I'll just have so much of the vegetables. That's while true. everyone else is like, let's you know try to get our thirty dollars worth of, of exactly meat. while we can. Uh, speaking of meat, though, in Korea, it's so funny that you were talking about how like the factory farm meat in America is so bad. So I lived in Korea for several years recently, and you go to the restaurants, and they'd have these big signs on the window that says, no American meat here. And they'll like advertise. They have Australian beef, or they have Japanese beef, or like Korean beef. Like in Korea, if, if, they, if you know you're eating American beef, it's like 
horrible. They will not serve it. You will not go to a restaurant that serves American beef because they think it's like the trashiest, like full of hormones and mad cow disease. Like they think the worst of American beef. And Well, American factory farm beef really is bad. But I actually don't think Australian beef is actually any better. Because uh, what is that? There's, Australian beef is like grass-fed. Is it no, free-range? You would think it would be because they have. you would think they have all this land. Yeah. But if you've been to Australia, it's like a desert. It's the bush. So they actually also subsidize their – I don't know if they use corn or um, what it is, but it, it's all grain-fed as well. Oh. New Zealand uh, beef or lamb would be super healthy because they actually have natural grass. You know, So it's all pasture-raised. So whenever I can, I would rather eat meat from New Zealand. Uh, Australia, though you can tell because as a meat eater, when I have a steak and it's like giant – you know, it's super, super fatty, uh, super marbled, which is what people would prefer because it, to our taste buds, it tastes better. You know, because of all, all this meat, it's more juicy. Mm. Australian meat's like that. When you have like grass-fed meat, it's not as juicy, it's not as lean. So it's mm. almost like an acquired taste. Mm. You have to kind of go we're, back to We're it. used to the other meat. We're used to it. We're used to the, the bad stuff. That's funny. And it's it's crazy because, you know, I, I think it's... it's in my in my mind, it'd be a lot cheaper just to have a cow eat grass because it's free. Right. Uh, but the only reason why it's cheaper to feed them corn, which they shouldn't, uh, it's not they don't naturally eat, is because our government subsidizes it. Right. Right. That ninety nine cent cheeseburger should be four dollars, but it's subsidized. It's subsidized by taxpayers. Yeah. Yeah, a hundred percent. And because uh, they eat this corn, their body can't handle it. Their, their stomachs, you know, they can't digest it, so they get they get sick. And then when they get sick, they have to be fed these antibiotics and all this other stuff. See, I think this this comes into another point that I would bring up is the sustainability aspect of veganism. Like the reason all these animals are factory farmed is not because we're sick and we love torturing and being cruel to animals. It's because we want to feed people and, you know, millions and millions of people want to eat cows. And if everyone ate grass fed beef only, we would need three planets. You know, we don't, like you said, Australia is huge, but it's not all arable. If everyone was only eating like grass-fed beef as much as we eat the factory farm beef, we just don't have enough land to do it. We need three planets. That, that definitely makes sense. So and that's why we factory farm is because we need to, well, there's the demand, high, keep, high demand. the price down too. When you, you know, when you could just shove a thousand chickens mm. into one coop instead of having them all free roam like you can you can have a lot more chickens per square exactly um, you know square meter so this is when we're talking about supply and demand and we're talking about profit we're talking about keeping costs low we're talking about in terms of a product but what we're really talking about we're talking about living animals and that's where i think vegans sort of the core of a vegan belief is that this animal is not a product this animal is an animal and uh yeah, we don't want to talk about animals in terms of being products. And you know, how can we maximize ROI on these chickens? You know, these are chickens that are here to do their own thing and to reproduce and have their own lives that, you know. So let's talk about solutions. Okay. Because I think, you know, people get sick of hearing, you shouldn't be eating this, you shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. So do vegans really think that they can convert 100% of people into being <laughs> vegan? I can't speak for all vegans. I don't know. I, I don't know. Any vegan who thinks that is delusional. Yeah. There's no way you can convert 100%. I, I definitely went through that phase in the beginning when I was super evangelical. I had very low tolerance for non-vegans. But what is the solution? I don't know. There's cool things like you've probably heard of Meatless Mondays. Have you heard of Meatless Mondays? A lot of uh, cities are doing that where like they promote a vegetarian day once a week or a vegan day once a week. Have you heard of that? I've definitely heard of that. Um, I think Jamie Oliver started that. Someone started that. Like it's, it's a movement and, and it's growing. I, I think that's great. You know, if you cut out one seventh 
of your normal consumption, that that makes that's a start. Yeah, that's your start. I think what one easy solution that would actually be healthier for people too is for people to just eat more vegetables and just slightly less meat. Mm. So I honestly 100% do not think there's a chance in hell that 100% of people in the world are going to become vegan. Never. And, and they don't even need to. Yeah. And the thing is, I think the harder that vegans push it, the more people don't want to listen to the valid points. Yeah. You know, uh, and I know this because I was vegetarian for half a year. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I, I remember that. You told me about that. And the reason why is because <laughs> when I first found out about how animals are raised, I it's it sickened me. You know, I just like physically could not eat meat anymore. Uh, and I, I, you know, I saw the health benefits of not eating this crap, right? So I became vegetarian and I was trying to educate my friends, my family. Were you an evangelical? I, I was vegetarian. super evangelical. Oh, nice. I had a pita pin and everything. Nice. You know, I had a chickens or not nuggets. <laughs> nice. That's hilarious. And it didn't work. Like, I don't think I converted a single person. Yeah. If anything, I just pissed off everyone. Yeah. They completely closed off to a lot of the, I mean, I think thinking back, some of it was kind of, you know, was hype, right? Some of it was kind of just like scare tactics. But a lot of it was actually, you know, really legitimate data. Say like, you know, here's a real solution. Here's blah, blah, blah. And people just didn't want to hear it because they're like, I'm sick of vegetarians or vegans just shoving this down my throat without me wanting to know it. Do you want, you want me to kind of reveal a little secret yeah, almost? I, I don't know if this is true for all of the people that are, that are like that. But I think a lot of this is kind of actually brilliant marketing. I think a lot of the vegans that you might think of like a durian rider or like a vegan gains or freely the banana girl, I think what they're actually doing is they're purposefully trying to stir the pot and they're purposefully doing this to get attention because what you'll notice is all these people then, the Joe Rogans and the bodybuilders, they're talking about veganism, even though they're saying, oh, this guy was a jerk and I couldn't stand him. At least those people are happy that the word vegan is being used. Now, I don't use that approach and that's not my favorite approach, but I believe that's what they're doing. They believe it's like a guerrilla, like grassroots marketing campaign. Because if you meet these people in real life, they're nothing like that. You know, Durian Ryder is just such a, a humble, cool guy to hang out with. Nothing like his character on YouTube. I believe a lot of what pisses people off is, is kind of staged marketing, actually. And you know what? You actually make a really good point with that because I think that regardless if they actually make any change for the world, they it's almost like they make their cult cooler. Yeah, they want to bring awareness to the word at least. So people are like, what is that? Or, because most people don't know what vegan is or a lot of people don't. Or maybe they're starting to. I think everyone in the world now knows what it means, but I think it has such a negative connotation to it. That what, people... What's the negative connotation? Like the average person, what's the negative? So for the average person, they're like, oh my God, I don't want to hear from this vegan hippie that is going to like tell me meat is murder and then throw red paint. On oh, right. Yeah. The people go and protest in the restaurants. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so I think guys like Dern Ryder, like the way that they are trying to get attention is not good for animals. I, I think it actually does the opposite. Mm. I think it almost... It's almost like uh, people when, when when people talk about gun control, mm. it makes people with guns or you know or even on the on the other side say, you know what, f these guys. I'm gonna go buy more guns just to make a point. The unintended consequences. Exactly. Mm. Uh, so I think when people do these hardcore, you know, uh, vegan tactics of trying to you know either shame meat eaters or like make them feel bad. Mm. People completely close off and yeah. they're like, you know what? I don't want to listen to any of this. 
So I'm, if anything, I'm gonna go eat a 72 ounce steak just because I can. Yeah, oh, I've seen just that. I've seen that exact. I I made a video once that had a statistic about how the average vegan saves like a certain number of lives. I think it was like 200 animal lives per year. Like if you're eating fish and chicken and everything, 200 lives per year. And then in the comments down below, one guy's like, "Oh, now I have to eat 200 extra animals to make up for you vegans or something like that." It's like they want to retaliate. I, I really think you know. I really think so. But I think there's a solution. I think yeah. you know by us having this kind of very open-minded conversation, there is a solution. I think that if we, for the vegans out there that really genuinely care about the livelihood of animals, of of the world consuming less animals overall, and then the ones that they do consume to have them be more human, humanely raised, uh, to have them in be in better conditions, I think the solutions are actually pretty easy. Uh, one would be. Instead of convincing people to not eat meat at all, which is honestly not going to happen, is do tactics like the Meatless Mondays and just try to get people to eat slightly less meat. Uh, the second would be to convince people to eat more vegetables. Hmm. So I think if everyone actually ate a diet more similar to mine, overall people would eat less meat. Because I actually don't eat that much meat. I eat meat with you know pretty much every meal, but I eat a lot more vegetables than I do actual meat. Hmm. You know, like when I go to that Korean barbecue buffet, I'm eating less meat than everyone at my table. Hmm. So. By encouraging people and, you know, and talking about the health benefits of eating, you know, uh, like ordering a side of vegetables with your meal, yeah. and not ordering the biggest steak possible. Um, I think that would help a lot as well. Yeah. And then third, when people do eat meat, you know, really, you know, really focus on how much healthier eating a grass fed uh, steak would be or, um, you know, a you know, wild game than it would be in a supermarket. So can you imagine if everyone, you know, decided, you know, everyone was kind of enlightened and they're like, I know how bad factory farm meat is, so I'm eating zero of that, but I'm allowed to eat as much uh, game meat or grass-fed meat as, as I would like to. Naturally, they would eat less because it's harder to get. It's more expensive. Right. Yeah. If they have access to it and they have the financial means, then that would be that would be great. And it's kind of this weird catch-22 because I know vegans don't want to, uh, you know, they don't want to encourage hunting, you know, because that's kind of against everything that, that they morally want to do. They don't want to kill animals. Mm. But... It, the grand scope of things, when people hunt, they are a lot more in tune with nature. Those animals are raised a lot, you know, in a be way better condition. Uh, and there actually are, there's more deers in the U.S. now than there was when we first landed here. Mm. So it's it's not, that's not really, the, that's not the problem. And, you know, I, I think you got to pick your battles, man. And you know what? If everyone hunted for their own food, we'd be in a totally different situation in terms of the health of the country. So I'm not going to try and pick a fight with the hunters out there who are sitting in a tree, you know, at 5 a.m. waiting for one deer to come by and they're going to feed their family with that for three months. Like I have close family who are hunters and I'm not about to pick that battle. Like I, I respect the way that they they they're very ceremonial about that they do their best to respect the animal and use the whole animal and everything you know my battle is against like you said the people who are just unaware that they're eating this garbage just because they've been fed since they were kids you know i would just love people to know that there's other options if they don't want to eat meat they don't have to eat meat they can watch documentaries like forks over knives they can watch documentaries like earthlings they can read books like the starch solution and they can see other options that are out there um but yeah, I'm not going to try and say that if you hunt once a year that, you know, I hate you or something. Well, the funny thing is if everyone was forced to kill their own meat, we would eat way less meat. Exactly. If I had to gut my animal and get blood all over me, exactly. I will guarantee you right. I'm not going to take that for granted. Right. If I, if I, I won't eat it unless I would be willing to kill it and I'm not willing to kill it, you know. That's what Paul McCartney said. If slaughterhouses had glass walls, everyone would be vegetarian. 
if you really saw what was in the slaughterhouse right before you ate it, you wouldn't have an appetite. I like it. So let's talk about some other solutions, right? So cool. one of the, the problems with eggs and you know is because chickens are raised in these terrible conditions. They're like you know, they're not allowed to fly, they're not allowed to roam around. A lot of them a lot of uh, chicken like chicken hatching eggs never even see sunlight. Right. They're just like put you know, they're these machi- almost like they're, they're treated not like animals. They're not treated exactly. like they're treated like products. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're not treated like living animals. They're, they're treated like products, which is and which chickens are amazing creatures. Yeah. They are amazing. They humans and chickens can coexist so well. But go ahead. And so I think the solution would be to encourage people to raise their own chickens, like pets. And the thing is, they're you know, chickens lay an egg every month, regardless of like they don't need a rooster. No, I think it's more often than that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm saying they 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 will lay eggs anyways, regardless. Yeah. So whether they ha- are you know are told to lay an egg or they have a rooster there, it's not like you know it's, you're not like eating um a ch- you know a chicken that would have became a chicken, mm. you know. If a chicken doesn't it's an have a rooster, it's egg. unfertilized. Yeah. It's going to lay the eggs anyways. Yeah. And it just happens. Uh, it's a lot, you know, you can have a chicken that's a lot healthier, that actually has like a normal, happy life, like a pet, as a pet. Kind of, yeah. And um, what what's great too is like the chickens, if you have like a garden or something and you have wild chickens, their, their feet will mix up the ground naturally when they walk around. They'll peck out the bugs and they, they naturally help a farmer. Like chickens and humans can really coexist really well. You get a couple eggs if, if you like to eat eggs for your family. And yeah, there's no reason why we have to stuff them into these boxes and he have these horrible existences. That's 100%. And the the chick, the eggs that come from these, you know, I don't want to use the word free range chickens because the, here's the biggest problem. They're not really free. They're not free. And it's marketing. And it, this, this is what really annoys me so much. And this is why I don't buy eggs from supermarkets is because people catch on that they can start charging $5.99 for a dozen of uh, of eggs that they just put a stamp on that says free range. But in reality, these chickens are pretty much treated exactly the same, uh, So which is why whenever I buy eggs, I always go to a local farmer to buy it. Or here in Chiang Mai, if you buy, a, if you buy eggs from the market or even like the local Thai corner store, those eggs, you can tell just by when you crack it and eat it, they are fed a completely different diet. You can tell that they're healthier because the yolks would be like bright orange. Um, you can just, you could taste the nutrients. It, it's so different than the pale kind of sickly mm. yolks that you get from the supermarket, even if it says free range, organic, uh, vegetarian fed, uh, any of these like hype words that people think are healthier, but they really aren't. Yeah. This is actually, this is kind of weird. This is a kind of a non-vegan thing I did. This is really weird. I was home for Thanksgiving and uh, I was staying at my cousin's house and he had asked me to run out and go to the store and uh, you know, I had to pick up my own food and he's like, hey, could you pick up some eggs while you're out there? I was like, oh, that's weird. Like I'm going to spend money on eggs and it kind of called into question some of my ethics, I thought, but at the same time, I was a guest in his home. You know, he had me stay with him and really I was just running an errand for him. But it was weird, you know, it was the first time I'd spent money on an animal product in a long time. And I was looking at all the eggs that I could choose from, trying to choose what was the best. And it just all looked like marketing. It was all marketing, right? It was like grass fed or like free range. And it's like vegetarian fed. It's so funny. They're just trying to market to you to Well, one of buy the worst eggs. things about eggs now is, you know, because people will talk about the benefits of of free range, truly free ranged uh, chickens having more omega-3 in their eggs, which is true. A lot of times now they will have chickens that were fed kind of rancid flax seeds to get oh. their, their omega-3s up. Oh. And I've 
I bought that once because I fell for that marketing hype. I'm like, oh, these, you know, these chickens have more omega three. It's awesome. I cracked open the egg, and you could just tell it was like a sick chicken. Oh, so yeah, that's you know, it's it's you know. And here's the thing. This is why I, I like to have this podcast. Is even though this episode isn't really about traveling like a boss or running a business, <laughs> it really is because neither Sean or I would be able to have the time. Uh, or the the resources to be able to eat the way we do, to do as much research as we do, to watch as many documentaries, read as many books, talk about, you know, yep. attend as many seminars, things like that about these subjects and be as open-minded if we didn't have these semi-passive location-dependent businesses that allow us to have enough money and, and freedom to be able to learn and explore these things. It's beautiful. I, I actually, I would flip that 180 actually because I went vegan before I became a boss like this. And I think going vegan and cleaning up my diet really helped me focus more on my work and be healthier in my body, have more energy, be able to do more. Like I went vegan in 2012. It wasn't until almost a year later that I walked away from my nine to five and became like a full-time digital nomad. And business has just been booming and booming and booming since. I don't know how much credit I can give to going vegan, but for me, it was the other way around. I went vegan first and that's what created the lifestyle, which then gave me more time to research more and really dial it in. But I think, yeah, cleaning up your diet can really help your business so much. And I don't know if you, any listeners out there believe in like karma or something like that, but I, I really believe like the karma points of eating less meat really help you in your life too. Like if you believe in that stuff, you know, you're not inflicting harm on others, less harm will be inflicted on you. Um, you're letting other people, other beings live their lives freely, not interfering with them. You'll be more free to live your life without interference. I've really felt that uh, if you believe in that kind of karma Buddhism kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. You know, you're putting good things out in the world, good things come back to you. And as far as your, you know, cleaning up your diet and being healthier, helping with business, it absolutely did for me as well. Um, when I first started doing well in business was when I first, uh, be, you know, be, got in good shape. And because I had the energy, I had the mental hmm. clarity, and I wrote about this in Life Changes Quick. So if you guys haven't read that book, that basically outlines what I did for one year to set myself up for success. Nice. To get my, you know, my uh, my health in order, my exercise in order, to set goals, and that's when all the success came. Yep. And I know for a fact now, every time, you know, and I'm not perfect. I don't think anyone is. You know, sometimes we slip and we go for two months eating crap again, or we don't exercise for two months because life gets busy, things happen. You know, you go through a breakup, or you have family problems, or you're traveling. And when the only good thing is now, I. I'm aware of that. I know that when I'm eating pizza or pasta, all this, you know, or you know, any of these like processed foods, I'm not going to be optimal. I'm not oh, going to yeah. crush no at work. I'm not going to do well. But on the flip side, though, I notice like if, if when you switch up your diet, when you clean up your diet, and you just do a little bit of exercise, like after one week, you can have like a whole new body in mind. You can have a whole new body in mind in a matter of like a week. It's you know, the first couple of days is going to be painful. <laughs> Uh, but after about a week, you're like, all right, yeah, wow, I'm, I feel really different. Like, I actually want to eat healthier. I want to exercise more, and I can think clearer, and I have more energy. It doesn't take much. Absolutely. And what's actually funny is I've only been back in Chiang Mai for a day. Uh, I was eating, you know, terrible throughout, you know, throughout my travels in San Francisco and in Austin when I was having all this barbecue, in L.A. when I was having all this Korean barbecue and all this stuff. Uh, and I got back to Chiang Mai. And I ate clean literally just for one day. <laughs> uh, I exercised and I woke up. And, and we got massages. And I, I got two massages. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, and I woke up and I looked in the mirror and I was like, you know what? I already look leaner. Oh, yeah. It doesn't take much. You can undo stuff pretty quickly. So all you guys out there think you've been letting yourself go and you don't like the way you look in the mirror, you know, just give it a couple of days and, and push through the pain a little bit. And, you know, a week from now, man, it could be a whole new body and mind. Yeah, because a lot of it is just like inflammation. It's uh, carrying around all this extra water weight. Yeah. You know, it's, it's all these... Yeah, water weight drops fast. Bloating. It's all this crap, right? Yeah. So that's crazy. So... Let's talk about a couple more solutions before we kind of wrap this up. Uh, one other kind of weird solution mm-hmm. that I think both your audience and my audience is going to think is weird. WTF. Yeah. What is this? Is so the actual solution to our world's protein problems our, is our world's what problems? Protein. Uh huh. Right? So what one thing that can provide the world in a, with a very sustainable uh, way of growing protein? I hope you're going to say beans. Is actually something completely different. Uh-huh. Something that uses even less water than beans. That is a complete protein. So it has all the amino acids. Uh, that has basically all the benefits of having, let's say, grass-fed beef. You know, but none of the the downsides of the methane gas that that's put out there, taking requiring lots of land mass, requiring lots of water. The Jeez, shipping, I'm trying all to guess stuff. what the heck is he gonna say? What is it? Crickets. Crickets. Yeah. Really? So when you and it doesn't necessarily have to be crickets. It could be crickets. other bugs. Well, I mean, they eat them here. They eat them in China. Yeah. But in general, if the the actual solution to the world's <laughs> hunger and protein problems... Eat bugs. Is eat bugs. And the thing about... The <laughs> reason why people chose crickets is it's very easy to grow. They don't really have a terrible connotation to it. You know, it's one of those things where, you know, people are like, oh, crickets are cute, right? <laughs> and what they do is basically in, let's say, a warehouse, they can grow enough crickets... <laughs> In one warehouse to feed like a state. Oh my gosh! And it doesn't require that much. Wa- it doesn't require that much water. It doesn't require like. Wasn't that know, movie Snowpiercer? Snowpiercer, where they're on that train in the winter and they are all fed these like bricks of food and they don't know what's in it and then they find out that it's oh spoiler alert oops. Oh, oops. <laughs> no. oh, I, I haven't seen it, but yeah, I mean you know crickets. basically it's super nutrient dense and the way that they do it. So the reason why I don't eat cr- crickets in Thailand is they're all deep fried, so there's, oh. there's no like nutritional benefit of that. But the ones I'm talking about is, you know, they are grown in a very clean, you know, environment, and they just grind it down to cricket flour. All right, let, let's let's have a challenge. Okay. All right, I'll 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 spend a year trying to convince people to go vegan, and you try and convince people to eat crickets, and we'll see who has more success. You know what? So <laughs> here 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 we go. All right, so here's a challenge for you guys listening. There's a, uh, a would you rather have a there. burrito bowl or would you rather have a cricket? <laughs> Bun. There's a uh, there's a company out there called EXO, uh, EXO, and I'll have a link to it. And they have these cricket protein bars, which are made with cricket flour. Oh uh, I actually ordered some, <laughs> so uh, and I tried it for my first time. It's not that bad, actually. It's purely cricket protein. It's purely cricket protein. Wow. Uh, they they obviously they sweeten it with like some dates or like okay. blueberries or something like that, so it doesn't taste terrible. Um, and it's, I mean, it's, it, it is a solution. So I'm curious if you are, I mean, you have the, the means to have, you know, grass fed beef and you can eat, you know, the fancy meats that you want and you're happy to do that. Why would you be interested in cricket uh, proteins? Uh, are, are you interested in like the sustainability aspect yeah, of it? Yeah, 100%. So I'm kind of like you or like vegans mm. in a sense where I would like to have a more sustainable world. Uh-huh. And, you know, I understand that. So it's almost like a compromise. It, yeah, it kind of is. So, as a, a vegan, what, what do you think about? Would you eat crickets? That's a good question. I don't know. I could say hypothetically. Uh, to me, that's still you know commodifying another 
living being. I don't know if crickets are sentient beings or what, what would that be considered. Uh, but to me, I'm happy with beans. And, and I don't know how much more calories per acre or grams of protein per acre you get from crickets versus beans. But yeah, what, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I'm happy with my rice and beans. But you know, if you want, if that, if that does it for you, go for it. Cricket protein bars. That's, I mean, it's, I never heard of it, man. You learn something new every day. Yeah, I love it. Jeez. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm so glad we had this conversation. Uh, the reason why I had you on the show and not Dern Ryder is I'm pretty sure he would have just yelled things like, Black Lives Matter. No, see, you'd, you'd be surprised. You know, you meet him in person. He, I bet you'd have a very civil podcast with him. He's not who he appears to be on YouTube, I don't think. All right. Well, uh, I think both of our goals are pretty much the same. It's for us personally to be as healthy as possible, to you know, to have the energy, the mental clarity, uh, to have the, the, the health and the fitness, to be able to continue doing what we enjoy doing, hmm. uh, as well as being able to spread the word on what has worked for us personally while making the smallest impact we can exactly. on the environment. Yeah, exactly. I think we do share those goals. Yeah. And I've gotten to the point on my YouTube channel where I, I want to stop like telling people and more showing people. You know, like, this is what I'm doing. This is what works for me. If you're interested, this is how I'm doing it. But not necessarily like you have to go vegan and you, if you eat meat, you're a bad person because that's who I was a few years ago. I never imagined I would be vegan. I made fun of my friends for going vegetarian. You know, actually, I kind of, uh, I, 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 sometimes I wish I, I wasn't vegan, but it's just like, it's, it makes the most sense to me. You know, but I'm putting myself in a minority, basically. But to me, it's, it just makes the most sense and I can't imagine another way of living. I'm so glad that you are kind of leading, you know, you're part of the, the vegan kind of revolution. Well, I think a, a, a certain segment of the vegans, yeah, resonate with me. Yeah, I, 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 those vegans I, I like. Uh, I don't think anyone likes people who are super douchey uh, or like rude, you know. And unfortunately, there's a big vegan population, especially, I want to say especially vegan men are stereotypically very whiny uh, very douchey, kind of you know, mean people. Like not like not even like like for people that care so much about uh, the welfare of animals, a lot of people are just kind of just mean and kind of like I don't even know the word. Yeah, for I have it. theories about that. Well, 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 I'm curious what your theories are. I have theories about that. Well, it, you know, these are vegans who've been vegan for five, ten years, and five or ten years ago, you had to be a really early adopter. And the people who are willing to go vegan in that kind of a world, even still today, a little bit, they're probably people who are. They have to be willing to be outsiders. They have to be willing to be outside of the social norms, be different, uh, be willing for people to ask probing questions and to be different. That's why the, the image of a vegan before was like this tree-hugging hippie, someone who's like outside of society, you know, not a normal person. And you had to be willing to do that. These are people who are probably picked on as kids. I was picked on as kids, you know, as a kid. And you, you kind of, you're willing to be different. And so those people, maybe they were picked on. Maybe they're people who respond to people being in their face. Maybe that's what they're used to. I think they're they're probably giving back what they were getting before. Um, but yeah, a lot of the vegans are willing to be different. They're usually minorities, a big demographic of uh, gay, lesbian, alternative people, um, because veganism still is not mainstream. It still is a little bit of minority, but we're starting to see more people like me. I'm different as a vegan. I like money. I like making money. I like you know doing different things. I like running a business. I like being my own boss, and uh, I, I don't fit the mold of, of some of the other vegans that the stereotype would say. And I'm so happy that vegans like you exist and that you personally have this YouTube channel one minute a day uh, and you have, you know, you're basically putting yourself out there as an example of 
the type of vegan that I personally want to see out there. You know? I bet you'd like to. There's a lot more like bo- vegan bodybuilders coming out too. Like that's a whole new thing. Like really buff, jacked, ripped guys. Um, like there's this guy, Vegan Gains. He's like more like a durian rider. He creates like drama, but there's other ones like humorous fitness and there's other like really big guys who eat a vegan diet. And uh, I-, I thought you'd be more interested in those guys too. Like there's all kinds of different vegans coming up. Yeah. A vegan for every kind of person. I like that. And you know, it's it's good when people kind of had their their hormones kind of balance as well. Uh, I don't know if this is true because I, I I don't watch his channel, but somebody had mentioned that Dern Ryder had a video about doing testosterone. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, and I think his argument was like I, actually I I didn't watch the video. It's so like a steroid know. experiment. Was something. it what it was? Yeah, okay. but actually I I don't even think that's a terrible idea because I think in general most vegan men are lacking in testosterone. So if there is a natural replacement like. Um, testosterone replacement therapy, something you can get through a doctor. Don't go out, you know, to the, the gym, start <laughs> shooting up. But, you know, if you go to your doctor and they, and especially if you're like over 30 and your doctor says you are low in testosterone, mm. here is a, uh, here's an alternative. I don't see any, I, I, don't, I honestly don't see anything wrong with that. Hmm. You know? Yeah, well, uh, just just for the record, I know he didn't do it because his testosterone, his testosterone wasn't low. I mean, uh, he, he does do regular blood tests. So his testosterone was very healthy. I think it was actually above average. He did it as a weight gain experiment. Uh, like to put on mass, I think mainly. Um, but supplementing hormones, yeah, I'm not really familiar with that. I just want to clear that up. Yeah, he did it as like a weight gain experiment, I think. Okay. And you know what? And that's completely fine. I think that's, you know, if that's... I also, you know, what's, what's funny is a lot of people assume I'm big because I want to be jacked. I actually don't. I actually would prefer if I was leaner. Uh, for whatever reason, it's probably because all the milk I drank as a kid. My body naturally just wants to be big. And the only reason why... I like lift weights and all these things uh, is because I'm, I'm at a point right now where I can either just be fat <laughs> or I can be big and muscular. And so I'm like, well, if I'm not going to spend the time to do sprints or like Tabatas to keep lean, you know, and, and eat like a super lean diet so I can keep to my ideal body weight, which is under 200 pounds and lean, which is like a lot of the photos that you might see on like my book cover and things like that. Uh, I'd rather at least be, you know, in shape and muscular if I know I'm going to pig out and I'm going to eat a ton and I'm not going to exercise much. <laughs> uh, so that's kind of a clarification a lot of people don't realize. Wait, they think you're always like ripped year round or something? Or well, I guess part of it is, you know, people, I mean, I don't think anyone assumes I'm ripped year round because I don't think that's very possible for someone who has a normal life building business. Mm. But I think a lot of people probably assume I'm trying to get bigger. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and that's honestly not the case. Yeah, well, let's see what, see what we look like a year from now when we do episode 200. Yeah, I would love to. And, and it's so cool, you know, having you back on the show and kind of having an update that your business is going well, that you're still traveling. What are actually your, your plans? So I'm actually moving bases. I'm moving to Austin, Texas, my new base. Uh, I heard someone on your podcast, that couple, do you remember their name? That uh, they were based in Austin. And uh, I thought, yeah, I visited Austin in April and it was a candidate city for the for me, for the US. And I just wanted to... I've been based in Chiang Mai, and I just wanted to get back to the States and, and do more work on my business, more work on filmmaking, and uh, get involved with the vegan community over there. I just, I love living in the U.S. So that's the plan for the next few months, focus on the YouTube channel. I changed the name, actually. It's not One Minute Day anymore. It's Minimal Pro, focusing on minimalism and, and business. So Minimal Pro, and there's always the vegan undertone. And then I think I'll be back here around like May or in the summertime, uh, maybe catch the... Uh, Nomad Summit, if that's going on, and then uh, maybe some vegan festivals back here in the summer. Okay, really cool. Uh, and that episode was called Awesome Texas versus Chiang Mai for Digital Nomads. That's episode 87. Yeah, that was a great episode. 
and I actually wrote about legally moving to to Austin in episode ninety nine um, with a guy named Derek Pankow, who I met here in Chiang Mai, who's also living in Austin, who's actually moving back to Chiang Mai, which is kind of funny. So you move there virtually, and I move there physically. Yeah, so we are both legally Texans, I guess. Now. That's hilarious. Uh, and yeah, I mean, so Sean, thanks so much for being on the show. I'll have links to Minimal Pro. Cool, and- man everything else in the show notes episode 103 uh so yeah thank you for being so down to earth and logical and not yelling you know yelling chickens are not nuggets (laughs) that's your pin man (laughs) and uh, for any of the listeners out there you want to see what johnny looks like now i think we're about to head out and do some video footage and get him in one of my next videos so check out that video and see us walk and talk or something okay very cool all right guys see you all next week ciao Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, how to choose the perfect niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.